Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody. Les Raymond here with The Mindful Movement. Today, I get to sit down and speak with Joshua Becker, an outstanding writer, the founder of Becoming Minimalist. This guy inspired me years ago to reduce the number of things in my life, reduce the number of possessions, the number of things I spend money on to create space for more of the things that are more important to me. And it's really cool that I got to chat with him today and tell him what his work has meant to be. I am sure you can get value out of this guy's work. I encourage you to check out his writings. He's got several books. We'll discuss his latest one today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. I want to thank you all for joining me again for another episode. I am stoked to have Joshua Becker on today, the best-selling author of Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life and the founder of Becoming Minimalist. Joshua, thanks for coming on to the Mindful Movement. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Hope I can help in some way. I'm really interested to hear what life was for you before you got into this field and then like what made you shift. But first, I was I was looking forward to the opportunity to telling you a little bit about how you entered like my field of awareness in my life and letting the audience hear if that's all right. Oh yeah, no, I look forward to hearing. Okay, so um, I, I've been a, a gym owner. I've worked in like the fitness field for a long time, helping people with as using movement as like a primary uh, tool in the toolkit to help them find like a better sense of well-being. <laughs> and over the last uh, five or six years, especially after I quit drinking alcohol after like a, a long daily addiction with it for over 20 years. Um, I started to open up these other doors, if you will, like the mental health, the emotional health, things like that, working on my mindset. And somehow during that period in my life, so we're probably look, yeah, probably around five or six years ago on my Facebook feed, just, uh, you know, the algorithm did its thing. And I saw some posts, like blog posts, from Becoming Minimalist. Found it intriguing. And I got to tell you, you, your blog posts were outstanding. I mean, you were an, ex you were an exceptional writer. Um, I applaud you for your work, and I, I thank you. I'm grateful for the impact it had to me, and I'm grateful that it, it showed up in front of my eyes one day. Uh, to the point where I rarely share anything, like articles. I don't engage a lot in like social media. Um, and like, I felt compelled to actually share a few of them, which was like really outside of my zone, I guess. Hmm. And uh, they had a big impact. And then I started to tinker in my life. Hmm. And we were uh, 
looking through our like bedroom. How do we declutter? And we had this bench and it was like one of the nicest pieces of furniture we had. It was like one of the few like adult pieces of furniture, like not, you know, college kid kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was this like uh, bench that we had under our window in our bedroom. And like, we never used it like ever and never thought anything about it. And then with your work decided among decluttering, like other things to, to get rid of it. And I was kind of blown away by what happened. Um, it was the first glimpse I had of the idea that the things in our life, you know, they take up space in our mind. Like there's a part of your mind that's holding space for the information that, you know, that carries with the existence of that thing. So like, I didn't know that this bench was a, a clutter inside my mind. I thought it was just now I thought at the time that I finally was shed light on that there was clutter in our room and this was part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't functional. It was just form. And it's funny because in the gym, I'm always about function and that form follows function. And if it functions well, the form will be there. And this was like a big contradiction for me at the time. So um, it was so like enlightening. I was like, I felt like a lift, like a mm -hmm. freedom, like new space in my mind that I could hold for things that were more important. And it was really cool. I, I really, and then I looked for, you know, other areas and, you know, I got into like my clothes. I got rid of all my shirts that had anything on them, any logos, any mm -hmm. whatever. And then like decreased the number of colors. So, and then my family makes fun of me. Like, you know, I'll wear anything as long as it's like white, blue or gray. <laughs> and I know you take that to a farther extreme. So I guess that's the summary of, how you came into my world. So I was really excited when your folks reached out to us and thought it'd be a good fit. And, um, you know, I've read your work years ago and I really like it. And I haven't read your new book yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Wow. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, uh, um, yeah, I've been introduced to your work knowing that, uh, we we're going to be doing this. And so, um, listening to a number of different podcasts and, have enjoyed them and been, uh, challenged and inspired by, uh, by your work as well. So, um, yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate that. Thank you. So I got to ask, um, I was thinking maybe you could share with the audience a little bit about the ideas around minimalism and then maybe get into your, your new book a little bit. What was, if you could summarize, like what was life for you before you were introduced to this? Did you even have like an awareness that there was something that wasn't like harmonizing with how you wanted to be that, you know, something um, that drew you to where this would be a solution for? Yeah, I typically, um, I typically say it this way. Uh, they, they say the greatest seed of change in our lives is discontent. And I can look back on my life and see that there was a little uh, couple streams of discontent that were flowing through my life. I was introduced to minimalism like in a, a minute, like a, a short conversation with my neighbor, but um, certainly leading up to that, I could see that I was always a little discontented with my money. Um, not just, we were never, I never had a lot of consumer debt, um, but was never getting ahead financially, despite several pretty significant pay increases during my married life. It just seemed like when I knew a pay increase was happening that I should be able to finally get ahead, but for some reason I wasn't. Like it just, like the more that came in, the more that went out and could never quite figure out why that kept happening for some reason. Um, but more than that concerning money was, uh, I was always a little discontented on who I was spending my money on. And by that, I mean, I, I always wanted to be a generous person like I wanted to help people and I wanted to be able to to give to others but almost all of the money that was coming into my life was being spent on myself and so not only could I not get ahead to start helping others it was like everything I was spending was um uh, most of the money that I was spending was on myself so I was a little discontented there um and then the second one I've begun to explain, and I probably couldn't have articulated this before being introduced to minimalism was, uh, I was growing discontented with the focus of my life's energy. Um, 
just that it seemed like I should be able to focus more of my life on things that actually matter. Uh, and for some reason, I just didn't seem to be able to find the margin to do so. So when, so when I first heard the word minimalism, I was, I was in, and although I didn't make all the connections right away, like there was, I, I knew, I knew something wasn't right or something wasn't best about the way I was living my day-to-day -day life. So it was me and my wife, and then I had two kids, five and two at the time when I uh, heard about minimalism. So what were like some of the early, I guess, interventions that you adopted or tinkered with that, um, that I guess taught you that you were heading down something that was more meaningful to you? Like, Well, I was, um, so my neighbor, introduced me to minimalism on a Saturday morning, a Saturday afternoon, actually, by the time I had the conversation with her. My, my son, Salem, was five. Uh, my daughter was two, and I was cleaning the garage. We were living in Vermont, so I had this long, cold winter, and spring had come, and was finally cleaning out the garage, as I did every single year of organizing everything and, you know, hosing everything down and cleaning up after the long, dirty winter. And so um, my son was five in the backyard asking me to play catch with him. Uh, I kept saying no because I wanted to clean out the garage. That was going to be my project for the day. Um, and then finally, my neighbor was outside and she was doing all of her yard work and I started complaining a little. I think she saw what was happening with my son begging me to play and me just working on more and more stuff, kind of pushing him off. And, um, and finally she introduced me to minimals as I was complaining about the project. She's like, well, you know, that's why my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And I can remember looking at the pile of things in my driveway that I'd spent all day taking care of. Um, things that I knew weren't making me happy. Um, but suddenly I saw my son swinging alone on the swing set in the backyard where he'd been all day long and suddenly had this realization that all the things I owned weren't just not making me happy, but even worse, they were taking me away from the very thing that did bring me happiness and not just happiness, but meaning and significance and fulfillment and joy. And, um, so, so that was it. And, um, I was in, like we were, uh, my wife was on board, like, let's start getting rid of the things that we don't need. And so the first thing I did was my car, uh, because I pulled my car out of the garage. And so as I pulled the car back into the garage, I just grabbed a bag and I, I took everything out of my car that didn't absolutely need to be there. Um, the Happy Meal toys, the water bottles, the rubber ball rolling around in the back, the coins and pens and receipts and just a, a, a glove compartment full of stuff that just piles up there. Like I just took it all out. And that next morning I got in my car to drive to work and it was like a night and day experience. Like it just felt so much different in my car of like in my car it was like there weren't distractions around me it's like i could think about my day upcoming rather than all the things that i wish i had cleaned out of my car or the ball rolling around in the back backyard and back uh, seat and it was just this moment of i never realized how much of a burden, just like you were talking about, like how much of a, a mental burden our possessions become, how much of a, a visual burden our possessions become, and um, trying to picture what would life look like with this being my entire atmosphere every day, rather than, you know, just this driving the car. So that was the, like, that was the first step, like the first physical step that we took. That's cool. It's such like a, it's like an interesting phenomenon that takes place like that aha moment. It's like when you realize that this stuff that before you noticed, before you paid attention, like you didn't really know was affecting you. Yeah. And then when it's gone, it's like, Oh, it must've been because now I'm, now I'm clear headed. Something's changed. Yeah. I, uh, I, I always like to say, um, I don't think most of us realize how much of a burden our possessions have become until we begin to remove them. And, uh, I like to say how, 
like all of our physical clutter, like all of our physical things, everything we own takes up physical space in our home, but it also takes up mental space in our, in our mind. Like we just know deep down that it's something that we have to take care of, something that we have to get rid of at some point, like whatever right. it is, like everything we own is under our, under our care. And just like anything, the more you manage, the, the more, the more stress it is. And then uh, I think um, someone articulated for me pretty well. I don't, I don't remember where I read this, but I, I, it's very true that like, we are like, we're animals just like anyone else. And um, the reason it's hard to sneak up on a rabbit or sneak up on a fly is because like subconsciously we're always uh, like scanning our surroundings. Like we're, we're just subconsciously always aware of everything that's around us. And so if danger pops up, we can recognize it right away. And so that bench in your bedroom, like even though you weren't thinking about looking at it, like your mind was registering that it was there. And uh, every time you're in the room and uh, in any space, like we're, okay, what's what's around me? What's supposed to be around me? What isn't? And um, it, so it really there's does. like a, a deep embedded uh, genetic thing that helped us stay alive a long time ago. It was like a, a safety, a, a, um, a survival mechanism that might be, that was at once one point really useful to making sure maybe there were no new threats to our in our environment or something. And now in our today's culture with like the excessive consumption of things, that mechanism is like backfiring. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, probably still helpful, but, um, you know, the, the more stuff there is just the, the more that we're kind of scanning and registering. And so anyway, I, I always thought that was a pretty helpful way to, to think about how, oh, that's why just pulling this bench out of this bedroom can feel like such a big difference or just clearing off a countertop in my kitchen can make such a big difference every time I, I walk in the room or am in the room. Yeah. And like you alluded to something along the lines of, you know, the things that own you on some level or things you own on some level, like own you, it's not just the, uh, the cost financially or the space or the thoughts in your mind that are like on the back burner, but like all the stuff that goes along with maintaining it, like, especially if, you know, things that require like routine maintenance or service or cleaning or uh, it's like each one of those tasks is another layer of you know back burner to-do list or whatever somewhere yeah. buried in our mind yeah yeah what's like, I, i'm sorry go ahead go, no go ahead what's like the biggest thing what's the like the biggest thing you got rid of or the the most like bold, ambitious change you think you made that aligned with this new direction? Well, yeah, hard to, um, I guess I could define that in a, in a couple different ways. Um, we, we moved into a smaller home, uh, moved and not, a, not a, not a tiny home, but moved from, I don't know, 2,300 square feet to 16 or 1700 square feet, which, you know, still pretty big for most people around the world. But for us, it was, you know, cutting our cutting our space down by a third, despite having two kids who were only getting bigger. Um, so that was uh, that it didn't feel like a bold move. I mean, I, I knew I had more space than we needed. And it was a move that I wanted to do. Um, but I suppose looking back, most people aren't moving into smaller homes when their families are growing, that that's when they want a bigger home with more space. And then once the kids are out, they're moving into something smaller. So, yeah. um, so that was a, that was a big change. Um, if I were to think of, uh, what, uh, like what made the biggest difference in my life, like boldly, uh, we got rid of, we went down from four televisions to one and just kept one television in our house rather than the average American home has more TVs than people in it. And so, you know, we had four, so we had four, four people and four TVs and just went down to one. And, um, I think that was a, a brilliant move that really, I think brought our family together as opposed to, uh, everyone sending everyone going to their own different rooms at the, at the end of the day. 
Um, uh, maybe the ones that I feel the most often, I think, are decluttering clothes. Um, like really slimming down my closet, I think, gave me more time every single morning, put me in a better mood every single morning. And decluttering the kitchen uh, was also a pretty big one. I didn't, I didn't love cooking um, beforehand, but uh, once I really got rid of a lot of the stuff in the kitchen that wasn't needed, I, I really started to enjoy cooking a lot more, which I think you know, just brought about more healthy habits in, in other areas of life as well. So that's probably three different ways to answer your one question. <laughs> nice, for sure. <laughs> you know, it, you make such a good point too. I mean, like making the move with the TVs, it's not just about removing the TVs. It's like, what did that channel the energy of the house into? It, you got more time together with the people that are most important to you. And that's that's a really meaningful thing. I know at one point, we used to have TV in our bedroom and we got rid of that. And that in itself can improve a relationship in many ways. Yeah. Um, not having that distraction and your energy goes more towards each other, um, whoever's you know in the bedroom. So yeah. that could be a real meaningful shift for a couple that, um, you know, no matter how good of a person you are or whatever, like managing a relationship long-term successfully with someone very close, a partner is, is, um, is, you know, it's, it's always going to have challenges along the way. And, you know, if you take the relationship seriously, then it's, there's going to be an ebb and flow and bumps and learning experiences and, you know, good times, bad times yep. and such. And with a TV there with a the distraction, it could be leaned on to not, pivot at the opportunities of growth within the relationship. Whereas the best thing to do is, you know, bring your attention towards each other and figure out how to navigate forward in a way that's, you know, healthier or it aligns in a way that's something that you do, you know, value. Mm -hmm. So I could, you know, and we have that, you know, our kids don't really uh, watch TV in a room. We do have more than one TV. But we have, you know, the central TV in the living room that it doesn't really get a lot of use. But because we don't have TVs in the bedrooms, you know, when when somebody watches TV, they're in a common space and it's like inviting to at least watch together. And um, which is interesting. Like, it's also interesting. We have a very open floor plan when I'm cooking in the kitchen and my teenage daughter is watching something and I'm very aware of it because I could hear it in the kitchen and it, it sheds light on, you know, what your kids are watching yeah, <laughs> and yeah. what they're being exposed to and learning how to manage your own like uh, judgments or really like manage your own insecurities and not projecting them on your kids and the people that, you know, are most important to you because of the things that you see that they're choosing as their own people, they're not people you own, they're their own, you brought them in here and like they're navigating their way. And when, you know, if you don't see that, if you don't see like the sex scene or whatever on the TV that your daughter's watching, it's like, you don't even know it's something you have to navigate internally and potentially be able to um, navigate through discussion with her when yeah. you're on a walk after dinner or whatever. Say, hey, yeah. you know, I saw you watching that and, um, and have a more nourishing, compassionate, loving conversation about topics that might be more challenging. So th there's all these weird ways that the benefits can show themselves from just, um, you know, clearing out things and, and just making these shifts where the things in your life are the things that you feel are more important. I'll add a, I'll add another one <clears throat> just along the, the TV lines, because I've thought a lot about it as we started this when my son was six and my daughter was three, and now he's 19 and she's 15. Like there's been a, a long time here to, to think this through and um, if it's the best way to go about this or not. And like a lot of people will say, um, well, it's, it's more helpful to have more televisions because what he wants to watch is different than what she wants to watch or what I want to watch is different from what the kids want to watch. Or I'd like a home with like, I want a home with more space so that we can have a little separation from one another in the home. And I always think the the fact that we have always just had one television, like we've learned to, like my kids have learned and we as parents have learned like to compromise. 
and and to get together and okay he wants to watch this and she wants to watch that so how are we going to solve this problem rather than the solution being let's just put a television in his room and one in her room and never have to work this out um it's no like let's like what are we going to do here like how we what are we going to watch tonight or um you know who who picked whatever we did last week and so um I think just learning to live together in a space where you don't always get your way all the time is uh, probably pretty helpful. And then just the same thing in living, you know, a little smaller home than, you know, the the average American home would be where everyone can go off to their own wing when they're mad at each other and they don't have to, they don't have to, you know, bump shoulders with each other. But, um, you know, I think learning, all right, how are we going to how are we going to sort this through and we're not just going to ignore each other and go to bed, but um, we're, uh, we're in a little tighter spot. So let's figure out how family's going to work and relationships are going to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a great point. And um, I think there's, I think a lot of opportunity in society in general for families to experience some of that. I think there's probably a pretty large shift in the opposite direction over the last several decades. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, um, I don't say it every time I speak, but um, I like to point out the average American home has never been bigger, uh, and the average American family has never been more broken. And uh, I, I, I don't know if that's one leads to the other necessarily, but it's certainly um, two factors that are going on at the same time. Yeah. Well, I know the last couple of years, I have heard many stories of people using kind of the the events that have taken place to to be able to pause and think more and like like really paying attention to what they feel is important in life like what are the the bigger picture things that are you know worth making changes for and work worth adjusting you know the way you spend the minutes of your day and you know, granted, there's a lot of people that are just maybe going through motions and, and not paying attention. And um, but I have, you know, there has been plenty of of stories where it's the opposite, where, you know, connection with others, like the things that a lot of people have lost over the last couple of years, like the togetherness is it's been like, oh, this is really important. I have to make an effort. Um, I have to put myself in places where I can you know, connect and find my community or, or um, like, I know food is a big one too. Like I remember early in the pandemic, there was immediately like a sense of um, scarcity and worry and anxiety around food supplies for at least for people that like care about what they eat. And, um, and you saw people making shifts. Like I remember early in the pandemic, even we decided to get chickens to just be closer to build connection with our food a little bit more. And when I called to order a, um, like a coop, a chicken coop, like I was not the only one thinking that like these places were doing that were making these things were doing very well. Like mm -hmm. people were shifting their focus and, clearly they're like, this is in, you know, they're, they're making a decision to say, this is important. This is important. And, you know, other things seem a little less important. And, uh, where, where else in your life recently do you think you've been like after you've been at this for a while? So, you know, I would, I would assume like it gets slimmer, slimmer pickings of like, where can you find ways to navigate your, your day-to-day -day decisions or whatever that help you continue this shift that you've been on. So after been at it for a while, like what's something recent that you still find yourself saying, um, let me choose this way as opposed to that way. You know, this is what aligns with me. This is what feels right. Well, um, I, I could probably answer that in a, a couple different ways. So um, even going back to your, you know, observations about the, the pandemic and um, it's certainly true in every way. I, I think all the home gym stuff was sold out everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, I didn't know about chicken coops, but it, it makes sense that that would be the case. Um, so for me, I, I have always found that, and I think this is true for most people, that 
intentionality in one area of life tends to spark intentionality in other areas of life. And so um, I first started minimizing possessions, minimizing my stuff. Um, that was in a May. My birthday's in December. So uh, seven months later, my wife asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I'm like, well, we just got rid of 15 ties, so I don't need a tie. And I just got rid of 10 pairs of shoes. I don't need a pair of shoes. And we just went through all our Tupperware cabinets, so I don't need more Tupperware. Like, like what am I going to ask for for my birthday if it isn't going to be, you know, a physical thing of some sort? And a, um, a local a gym had just opened up like a mile from my house. And... I'm like, you know what? I've never, I've never gone to the gym consistently. It's, it's a, I have a little more time in my day now because I'm not taking care of stuff and cleaning everything. And so um, that's what I got for my birthday was this was a gym membership nice. and um, started going to the gym and uh, took about a month of going to the gym and coming home to eat potato chips and soda. And like, <laughs> why am I doing this? Like, this doesn't make sense. And so I started to get a little more intentional with my food and thinking through my diet. Um, I started waking up earlier in the day and uh, I started writing and watching less television. And for me, it was like that first step really brought intentionality and caused me to start thinking through um, here's where it ties into your, uh, the point, um, your introduction to this question is that in a lot of ways, we just get very unintentional in how we live when we're not focused about when we're not focused and thinking about it and like, like just being intentional with our day, um, not being intentional, we tend to I just think move towards chaos or move towards like all the messaging that we have around us about what we should be eating or, um, you know, what we should be buying. And we, we slip into those things. And so I think the pandemic comes along and we're like, okay, for me to be with my grandparents, like this requires some thought and this requires some planning. It's not something that I can just take for granted that I'm going to go see my grandparents, but okay, how are we going to make this work? Who do I have to be away from for a while so that I can go see them? Uh, what are the steps I need to take before I can go see them? And, um, and all those relationships, which were just so back of the mind, they're just going to happen whenever they happen. Um, sparked intentionality in in all those areas, um, which I think you know hopefully sparks intentionality in others. So, yeah, it's um, like the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Mm. So I have to ask because you know you you touch on the topic that I have been submerged in for a long time. I'm a gym owner, so and I've been programming uh, like movement uh, for for people for a long time. And there's a lot of ways to kind of categorize different qualities of training, like on some spectrums. And like one could be looked at, and this could be looked at within an exercise itself, like a specific activity, but also as like the program as a whole in the process. But like on one end of a spectrum, like having simplicity and the other end complexity, and they both offer pros and cons. So mm -hmm. being like, Mr. Minimalism, I'm curious, like when you go to the gym, kind of what you do, what the approach is, and if you gravitate towards what I would consider like a more simple program or some like where you fall on that spectrum. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm probably much more on the simple, uh, simple side, depending how you depending how that's defined, I guess. Um, I, I hadn't ever done any working out. Um, so I just went online and find, found like a, a five day workout that nice. I, I tend to, uh, I tend to gravitate towards, um, things that I exercises that I like to do with a few others mixed in that 
I just know I'm supposed to do or <laughs> right because right. if you just do the things you like over and over again then you're probably neglecting some of those some of those muscles that that need to be done but if you're just doing exercise routines that you hate all the time then that's not very that's not very sustainable so um so that's what I did at first and then um and then I always wanted to run a marathon and so I uh, had gotten a little bit in uh, in just shape, uh, just strength, tra uh, resistance training, right? That's a technical term, just lifting weights and mm -hmm. um, and doing that sort of stuff. And then I switched to uh, read a book on how to run your first marathon, and so followed that followed that for a while and and did that. And now I use a I use an app um, that just sets a sets a routine for me every oh, okay. single day. So nice. that's what I that's yeah. what I do. But it's mostly just the you know, um, I, again, I don't know, I don't know what you mean by simple. If it's well, like you know, one most, exercise, most, if you, that would be the epitome, I guess. If you did one exercise every time and it was the same exercise. Oh, right. No, where so, you can make a lot of progress, but it. it comes at a cost. Whereas like, if you had, I don't know, five training days a week and everyone was different and everyone had five different patterns than the other. And like, yeah. you're kind of focusing on nothing. So like, it's more comprehensive, but it's at a price. It's real hard to get better at everything at once. Yeah, got it, got it. I'm I'm definitely towards the latter of the two, where that's gotcha. uh, um, which can be way more enjoyable for many people, and it's yeah. important to do. It's funny you say I do the things I like, and then some of the things I know I I should do. I remember the first time I was a coach for a while before I got a coach, and then it dawned on me like, oh if anyone needs a coach, it's a coach mm. in a way. And um, I learned quickly that I have no business writing my own program because I would, I was very skilled at leaving out all the things mm -hmm. that I knew I wasn't very good at, but I needed. So I didn't get, you know, my weak points didn't get stronger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's easy to fall in that trap. Yeah. So um, tell us about this book, man. Things that matter. How is this different than the previous ones? What's, What's the, uh, what drove you to it? Yeah, uh, so um, uh, things that matter, overcoming distraction to pursue a more meaningful life. Um, the basis of the book really goes back to the, even the question you asked a couple questions ago about like, what are other things that you're, you're working on? Um, because for me, it was this progression of, like I started getting rid of, possessions. I started getting rid of things that I didn't need, realized that I didn't need as big a house that I was in and didn't want the new boat and the new car and like really started to kind of overcome that. And then I started to ask myself, well, what's the role of money if I don't need to just buy more stuff? Like what, like what, what's the point of money if I'm not just buying a whole bunch of things? And then, or is there a point where we have enough money? Like, why are we, why are 78% of us stressed out about money? Like it was just like a, a fascinating statistic to read that 78% of Americans have financial related stress. And I'm like, we're one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the world. Why are 80% of us worried about money? It's not that we don't have enough stuff around us we all have more stuff than we need and yet for some reason we constantly want more and more money um so why is that the case uh how does work play into all this if i don't need more money then what's the point of work if it's not just to make the money to to buy the stuff um i started seeing in my own in my own life how like I had overcome the the need for possessions and had really kind of even overcome the the desire for money to some extent. But man, if there was someone else writing about minimalism and they were getting more well known than me, then I was getting pretty jealous of that. And so, like, why were why was why were accolades like why were praise why was being noticed so so important to me? So. Anyway, the, the book brings together, um, uh, it's funny when I say the title, Overcoming Distractions to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. People are like, so you're going to help me put my phone down? And I'm like, yeah, there's a chapter on that. But uh, this book is much more about how much of our lives do we spend 
wanting more stuff and wanting more money or chasing leisure as the goal of life or or chasing happiness um, rather than meaning and uh, chasing accolades and, and fame and how do our past mistakes and fear hold us back? So uh, that's what the book's about. It's really about looking at some of these um, deeper motivations that I think um, deeper distractions that become motivations that I think keep us from living our, our most meaningful lives. So how do we get to the end of our lives with fewer regrets? I think we, uh, we find what matters most to us and then we remove all of the distractions every day that keep us from um, chasing after that with our whole selves. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I've been working on those very things for quite some time now. And uh, the adjustments I've made have made a big difference. And I, you know, I still have the challenges. Like the screen is a tough one. Like mm -hmm. the phone is so challenging. It's becoming one of those things where it's kind of like food. Like food decisions could be really challenging for a lot of folks, but you can't just say, forget it. I'm just not going to eat. Uh, you can for a little while. And, you know, that has its benefits for sure. But, you know, it's not sustainable, obviously. And it's getting to the point where with the phones, you you do need it. Like it's really hard to live in the world today without it at all. So, and it's, there's so much stuff on it that's created to keep you on it. Mm -hmm. So that it, it almost feels like an uphill battle. Like, um, and I use it and I try to use it for generally productive things. Like I do a lot of learning on it. I think we're, we're really like spoiled with the content we have. You know, you could, you could learn from an MIT professor or whatever while you're on a walk in the woods with your phone. Like to me, you know, there's value to that. The multitasking, the ability to make dinner for my kids while I'm, you know, listening to some nutrition talk that fascinates me or whatever. At the same time, you, I could easily find myself going outside without it and realizing, you know, I'm out walking in the woods without it. And I haven't done this in a while. Mm -hmm. And it, and all of a sudden it's like, man, this need, it's okay to, to go for a walk in the woods and listen to a podcast, but don't forget how different and amazing it is and awe-inspiring to walk in the woods without it. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, you might hear the really loud bird, but you're missing the birds. Like, you're missing, and if you're something that's drawing your eye to it, like, you're missing everything. Mm -hmm. If your head is down while you're walking around in nature it's almost like an insult to mother nature it's you know like like how dare you walk on my path <laughs> and not pay attention to all this beauty i'm like smothering with you, you with like don't you get how lucky you are that you're alive on this side of the dirt and i'm holding you and like you're staring at your phone and you're missing it Man. and um so but, you know, how do you, the, the balance of that, and there's no right answer, you know, and every, and obviously there's going to be a lot of individuality to this. And some people are just going to be okay with like, yeah, I know nature's there, but I don't need to experience it to know it's there. I know I'm being held and that's cool. And I'm going to play this mindless game as I sit on this stump or whatever. But, um, yeah, I'm not trying to judge those that think differently. I just find myself uh, battling internally a little bit with it and have to consciously uh, occasionally like make sure that I'm going out without it yeah because my default is to grab it finish whatever I've been listening to you know I'm, I'm like obsessed with learning so I'm always wanting that there's always something I would like to hear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's a challenging thing but I know the nature part is important to me so like I have to I have to say well, they're both important to me. So yeah. I would like to be balanced. I would like to like, say, like not have the regrets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you want me to solve that for you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so you're uh, man, your, your food example is brilliant. And I will have to give you credit every time I say that for the next year and then just claim it as my own sure. no it uh, <laughs> it is a uh, it's it's brilliant and and it's um and it's how i approach the conversation in the book is that um like there is great value in technology like there's like there's great like we're doing what we're doing because of technology and because of what uh our phones and the internet like because of that there 
there's great benefit to it. I only get to do what I do because of, because of technology, like you found me through social media. And so like, like there's great benefit to it. It just like there's great benefit to food and, and in order for us to live our, our best lives, like there's, I guess we have to have food. I don't know if we have to have technology, but, um, certainly there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, however, there's also a, there's also a downside to it. Uh, it can, you know, steal our time from, from things that matter. It can rewire our, our brains and rewire how we see the world or how we see other people. It can, um, take up far more time than, than we think it can. It can make us miss the conversation that our daughter wants to have with us while we're cooking the dinner because I'm listening to the thing instead. And so, um, I think that's the, I think that's the balance of, okay, where is technology? Where is my phone? Like, where are those things allowing me to create, allowing me to uh, make the biggest difference in the world that I can for the most number of people? Like, where is technology allowing me to do that? And then where is it distracting me from those things that matter? And where is it making me less effective in the world? And where is it keeping me from showing up as my best self in the world. Um, like that's what I think we're trying to, trying to figure out. And, um, there's a little point I think where we're, we're all trying to learn this together. Um, I kind of imagine like the first time society figured out fire and like, here's this great opportunity to boil water and, cook food and stay warm and light the night, like all these incredible benefits, but out of hand, it could burn down an entire forest and, right. you know, um, burn us. And so how do we, I don't know, I was kind of picture society trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to use fire only for good and, and not for harm and, um, thinking the same way, just as a civilization going through the, the advent of the internet and, and social media and, communication at, you know, the speed of satellite, like how, how are we going to use this, um, for good and, and keep it from, from harming us going forward. So, but I, I love, I like even just going down this food analogy, like I, I encourage, uh, like taking a technology fast and just like purposefully, whether being for a month or a couple of weeks, like going without it for a little while, like going without food for a day or a couple days or going without going away from a specific food for a period of time to see how it affects you when you when it when you bring it back into your life uh to do the same thing with technology just to recalibrate a little bit and yeah. hey i never noticed how much i was missing on this walk through the woods um until i decided to walk every day this week without my phone and this is better for me like this listening to my own voice a little bit is better than listening to the MIT professor. Um, right. All yeah, the time. for sure. Yeah. Well, it depends, depends upon what voice you have <laughs> in your head. <laughs> How many, uh, it's funny. My son is, he's 15 and he's taking time off coffee or caffeine. And, um, because I think he heard, I think he heard Michael Pollan talk about taking like three months off. And then when he had it, it was like the best psychedelic experience he had. So now my 15 year old is trying to, you know, his, his tools that are, are, he's allowed to work with to uh, play with altered states of con consciousness are limited at 15. So that's his strategy. And I kind of applaud him for, it cause you know, I love coffee. It's a ritual. It's a big part of my life. I roast my own and it means something to me. And, uh, you know, watching him do that. I'm, I'm kind of impressed by his ability to uh to manage it you know you bring a fire i guess fire is really one of our is like one of the beginnings of technology i guess that was technology not that it didn't exist but our ability to to wield it the way you know and channel it and create it so um that is interesting uh comparison because you know that is something we need we didn't necessarily need but we wind up really needing it to maximize uh, you know maybe the you know the, our foods offering up their nutrition for us and such and and uh you know maybe for other purposes too but 
it's um but you're right like that could backfire that could be misused quite a bit or not mm -hmm. respected and and you pay mm -hmm. the price but uh and you, you know you also bring up a point of like how do i use this technology to to do the i think as you phrase it the most good for the most uh, number of people and yeah i've always thought of it not always you know in the recent years i guess um that it's like such an accelerator and i you know i I use this example, I think a while back on the podcast that a long time ago, let's say you learned a lesson that was really like powerful to you. Like maybe your, your uncle was taking you fishing and they dropped some gem and you're like, oh, you know, and, and that like altered your course. But like for you to share that wisdom to affect someone else, it might've been like, you know, 20 years later when you have a kid and you're fishing and you bring it up because it reminds you or whatever. Like it's, it could be a very, very slow process. Whereas now, good or bad, technology mm -hmm. could accelerate. So like that lesson could be used, like, like your lessons that you've been uncovering or diving deep, discovering about minimalism could be used to really help a lot of people very quickly. Um, and it could grow exponentially and all these people could be changing their lives and it's changing their relationships. And, and then, you know, the people that they relate to is changing their lives and it just spreads, but also on the flip side, and you see this with like corporate media a lot, because it seems like, you know, it's the, if it bleeds, it leads things like there's a lot of negativity also that's possible in the world. And, you know, some of it is important, I guess, to learn about what's going on in the world, but some of it is really to maintain a business model that they have. Mm -hmm. And man, that negativity could spread just as fast and accelerate it. And whereas a long time ago, if somebody said something, you know, shitty or, you know, not useful, something that would really drag an individual and then collectively a society, uh, you know, a step down or, you know, lower the collective vibration or whatever of whatever everything you know the fabric of the universe like like that could be that could bring a lot of people down very fast now mm -hmm. to the point where it takes over dinner conversations where it's like unnecessary mm -hmm. or it breaks up relationships or families unnecessarily creates conflict in workspaces and whereas long time ago it would have just been one person's experience and maybe you know, it would have been thrown in the trash in their mind somewhere and not really spread. And now with like a click of the button, even anonymously too, mm -hmm. click of the button, you know, you could like really mess with everybody else's day. <laughs> mm -hmm. So another thing for us as a species to figure out how to, um, you know, make good use of. So we, you know, don't let the, the fire backfire, I guess, yeah. and, you know, burn yeah. the place down. Yeah. Um, that's great. So in writing that book, the recent one, Things That Matter, were there any things, like, I'm sure a lot, I'm not sure, I've never read a written book, I'm kind of intimidated by it, I've dreamed about it, but I'm, I can't imagine that everything you're going to say is kind of figured out, you know, even mm. in the outline, so, like, I've heard people say, if you really want to learn about something, write a book about it, mm. you know, so, uh, are there any things that stood out to you that after you started writing it that arose in that process that were like big, meaningful discoveries? Um, thoughts, uh, thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips or the fingertips. And um, so the, the whole process of writing for me whatever it, whatever it's been it's it's a process of thinking and like okay he, here like it it goes from the like the jumbled mind into like okay here's the concrete words whether it's on paper or um through a podcast you know we say them out loud and um suddenly they start to make sense or we say them out loud and suddenly they don't make sense because <laughs> right. we see them like we see them on the paper and we're like, wait a minute, I can think of a whole bunch of circumstances where that's not actually true. <laughs> um, so, so I think certainly through that through that process, um, we did a uh, I did a nationwide survey um, in preparation for the book um, to figure out like what are the distractions that 
that that are keeping people um, from things that matter, and what can they pinpoint in their lives, and how big of a how big of a distraction are they? And so that was pretty influential in my in my writing. Um, shaped the book, shaped the book a little bit. Um, it was in a conversation with my uh, with my editor who brought up actually with the publisher when I was first sharing the the idea of the book and. She said, um, "Are you going to have a, a section on this particular thing?" And I'm like, "That is right. Like I hadn't, I hadn't considered how that can become such a distraction for for so many people." And um, and so there are a, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those types of moments. Um, a couple that really stuck out to me, um, uh, based on the survey, uh, we asked if. We asked um, if you know what your purpose is in life, and 70% of people said that they know what their purpose is in life, which surprised me that it was a little bit that high. Like I wouldn't have guessed that it would have been that high, but 70% yeah. uh, of people say they know what their purpose is in life. And then 77% of people say that they um, are distracted from that purpose by things that take up their money, time, and energy, um, which I think validated my purpose for for writing the book. And then it became about trying to discern like what are those cultural distractions that either we notice, like we could say, I know my phone is a distraction from things that matter, um, but also things like Hey, do I is like my constant pursuit, my constant desire for more money all the time? Like, could that be getting in the way of me living my most meaningful life? Um, so that was good. Um, Eighty percent of people said they would be happier if they had more money, uh, which didn't surprise me, but uh, immediately caused me to to wonder, like, how. I think most people want to be generous people and they they want to help people when when people are in need like how can that how can those two thoughts coexist like I'll be happier if I have more money and I want to live a life that helps other people like how can how can you hold both of those thoughts in your in your mind and I I because they're they they butt up against one another. Well, some say, "Well, I, I want more money so I can help more people," but um, that doesn't actually um, work out. Uh, the the most painful one uh, I discovered um, in the in the survey: sixty percent of people say that they are held back from the future they want to live because of a mistake they made in their past. Sixty uh, percent of people say a mistake they made in their past is affecting them from living the life they want today. And 55% of people say a past mistake committed against them is keeping them from living the future they want today. Uh, and that is, that's a lot of potential that's being bottled up either by something that we did on our own or something that someone did to us. Right. Um, that was just the, the people the I hardest guess that one are, to read. Yeah, I guess that's just the people that are aware of it too. Like I'm sure oh, yeah. there's a lot of people. Like you know, I've been diving into ideas around trauma for a long time, mm -hmm. and realizing that wow, it's a lot more common than I would have ever expected, and comes in a lot of different um, ways. And you know, I'm sure there's people out there that, due to traumatic events in their childhood you know, they're being held back and don't even know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, yeah, that is, that is tough. Well, that makes it nice that there is a book like this. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of which, how do, um, for those that, well, first of all, I got to ask you all the, so I used to read like your blogs, they would come through as like Facebook feed stuff. Okay. Um, are all those blog posts housed on your website, I assume? Uh, becomingminimalist.com. Yep. Yeah. yeah there's... So for the listeners out there, I highly recommend you checking that out. Actually, I would like to, cause it's been a while since I've read your work. I would like to go back through that. Cause I remember it being a very inspiring, um, a lot of inspiring stuff from it that helped me. So I would like to, to dive in a little bit and rekindle some of that and see maybe refocus. We're actually having some house work done on our house. So it's like a perfect opportunity because mm -hmm. we have to like 
clear out a bunch of stuff anyway. So it's like before we bring it all back in, like let's get real picky on this. Yeah, yeah. I think I just I'll mention this. I'll let you continue, but I think one of the things that like I've written about it for 13 years, and so there's thousands of articles there. And I think one of the reasons my writing always tends to resonate with people is like I I hope people can even sense it during this conversation. Like my goal has never been, I just want to own the fewest amount of things as possible. Like the goal of minimalism isn't, I just want to own the least amount of stuff that I possibly can. Like I want to own less stuff so that I can live a bigger, more intentional life in the world. Um, And so that's always the approach. That's always the way I write. Like how do we how do we live our best lives? It's certainly not by owning a bunch of stuff that we don't need. And so it's, you know, not just how do you declutter your kitchen? Like, is there's more, you know, I think the- It's the why, like why the approach, The approach to the writing, I think there's always a little deeper meaning behind it and people can tend to um, catch that, yeah. but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the why to do those things. It's really important. And everybody's why might be a little different. Yep, I'm sure yep, there's some variability yep. to that. So, But I think I'm sure there's value for anyone to find in, in those entries that you made. Um, are you still adding to like the blog post or is it just books? Even while you were like, dealing with a book, man, that's impressive. And then how do people find uh, things that matter? Oh, this new book. Uh, it is, uh, it's available everywhere. Uh, it's available everywhere and, uh, in every format. So I, I, at least I hope it's available everywhere. <laughs> Any bookstore you go into, uh, it, uh, release April, uh, April 19th is when the, uh, is when the book either published or publishes. I'm not sure when we're airing this. I should have asked before we started. Let's see. Today is the, uh, the late bar. So yeah, this will air before that. So beautiful. Yes. So, so uh, everybody look out to that. And uh, um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and um, always appreciate and grateful for the listeners. Joshua, is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? No, I, uh, I, I uh, appreciate you and, and the work that you do and um, glad I could play a small part of inspiration in, in your life. And um, I think that uh I think that we all benefit when we when we get rid of the clutter and uh, live a intentional life, not just the things that we own, but the way we spend our time and uh, live our lives. So thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody out there. Thanks for listening. I hope you all have a great day. Thanks again for tuning in today and listening to that. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Joshua just seems like a great guy, obviously very passionate about the work that he's done, and he lives it too. He's got a lot to learn from. And it doesn't seem like he's uh, stopping at any time. Like he just keeps um, diving deeper and deeper as he goes, it seems. So I hope you got some value out of this. I know I did. And I've got, as I said in the interview, a lot of value out of the work that he has done. So it was really nice to be able to share what his work has meant to me face to face, um, kind of face to face via Zoom but it was really nice. I really enjoyed the conversation. If you think you know someone that might benefit from some of the topics and concepts that we discussed, then please share it. And if you have any questions, send them my way. Just a reminder, if you're not a member of the Mindful Movement Oasis, check us out. We have a weekly live session now that either Sarah and I are doing. It's really nice for the community to get together at the same time, same place basically, and go through some some variation of either uh, movement or stretching meditation and um, or maybe a journal prompt sarah likes to throw those in also we're providing one live session a month on the youtube channel we started doing that so keep an eye out for that there are generally thursdays i think 7 p.m eastern time and same format generally than what we have on the membership as a member you'll get more of them you get them every week Um, And let's see, what else do we have on the horizon? As we mentioned recently in the interview I did with Sarah, just catching up with Sarah and letting you guys come along for the ride, we also have uh, our different opportunities for coaching that are available on our site now, either private hypnotherapy sessions or coaching with Sarah, or sessions with me, which is a five-week package where we take a look at basically all the aspects of your lifestyle and find 
suitable interventions for you to, to tinker with and see if it's a right fit. We identify the values that you want to dictate your decisions with and get some clarity around that. And there is a large component of movement in that programming. So if you already have equipment or, or uh, a routine that you exercise with or a gym that you go to, all that can be incorporated in that coaching. So if you're interested in that, then, um, then follow the link in the description and, and see if it's a good fit. Uh, that's it for today. Thanks again for tuning in and stick around for, for more coming soon. Thanks.